Explore Milwaukee's past and its future, one building at a time. This is Urban Spelunking with On Milwaukee's Bobby Tanzillo and me, Nate Immig, from 88.9. All right, Bobby, Milwaukee might have heard about this story. You know, it kind of flew under the radar, right? (laughs) That Milwaukee is moving to a new museum in 2026, the current Milwaukee Public Museum, transitioning into a whole new space. And of course, there's been a lot of buzz around the exhibits, what it'll look like, what the museum experience will be like. But, you know, kind of lost in that story is this building and this incredible piece of architecture. So a perfect place to talk about it here on Urban Spelunking. And and Bobby, you actually got to talk to the architects behind the Future Museum. I did. And I don't know what your reaction was the day they unveiled the renderings of the new museum, but I love them. I think they're striking. I think they're the kind of like iconic buildings that we need more of. Like we have lots of buildings that to us personally are recognizable and well-known but, you know, outside the city, really, there's only the art museum. So I think it's it's great for us to get another building that is going to be sort of instantly recognizable as a Milwaukee building. Yeah, I mean, when those first renderings came out, it was definitely a conversation starter. I mean, our social media blew up. People were weighing in on the comments. Personally, I mean, you see what the Milwaukee Art Museum and the impact that the architecture had on the museum, of course, but also the city and the building that it's all contained in really does matter. It matters in your experience there. It matters as you're walking up, as you enter, as you're inside. I mean, that building tells you so much about how to feel and and how to experience the museum. Absolutely. So I asked the architects, I talked to the sort of main architect from Ennead and then the main architect working for the local architect, Kayler Slater, and also Katie Sanders from the museum was on the call. And we talked about their inspiration for the design, like, you know, physically, culturally and all that. But also there were lots of comments when it was, when the renderings were released about, oh, these buildings look like this, or they look like that, you know, all sorts of objects that they sort of resembled. And so I also asked them what they thought about that. And we're going to hear directly from them in the extended conversation at radiomilwaukee.org slash podcasts. But one point that they really want to emphasize is the statewide nature of this museum and how it draws on the natural environment. Yeah. So, I mean, the you know, they did this sort of tour where the, everybody involved, like Think Design, which is doing the exhibitions, public museum people, the landscape design folks from GGN, and then the architects from both architectural firms all took like a road trip around the state. And they went to like natural features. Like one of the main inspirations for the design was Mill Bluff State Park, which has these great mm-hmm. uh, rock yeah. formations. They met with Native American groups. They went to a cheese factory. They went to visit other museums. They wanted to really kind of make sure that they all in their minds had philosophically this sort of intersection of both natural history and cultural history of Wisconsin. All right. Well, set up the interview because uh, also a pretty unique setting for this interview, right? Yeah. So I was home at my house and Katie Sanders was at the museum, I believe. And Chris Ludwig from local architect Kayler Slater, I believe, was in their office in Milwaukee. And then Jared Pelletier from Ennead, which is the main architect on the project, was actually in the Middle East. So we were all on Zoom together for this. Okay. So we are going global on this edition of Urban Spelunking. We've got the extended interview next. Do you want to know the secret behind the programming you love? It's all funded by the Honor System. As a public radio station, we're based on a very simple model. We try to do something meaningful, connecting with you through music and stories. And then we count on those who appreciate what we do to show their support. Are you one of them? 
Show your support by visiting RadioMilwaukee.org and joining today. I wanted to hear from you guys a little bit about maybe some of the other things you were looking at in terms of potential inspirations for this and how you settled on the on the rock formations. One of the things that we saw a lot on our seven-day trip across the state and was kind of set out for us by the museum, which is, you know, trying to understand the intersection of nature and culture and what does that look like, what does that feel like, and how do you start to understand the intersection. So I think one of the things that we saw really throughout the, the state and throughout our trip, whether it was in the Driftless region or in the Bluff or up on Lake Superior, was really the kind of the nestling between those two parts, um, culture and nature. And we're really looking to try to find a way to create an identity for that, that initiative and that ambition to really tell that story about how those two things are so inextricably tied together. And we actually explored many concepts with the museum, multiple concepts, and each of them took inspiration from different places we visited, but also different people we spoke to and sort of different things that we saw. But they all tried to look at how does nature intersect with culture and vice versa. In Mill Bluff, that intersection was very, very apparent to us. And it actually became more apparent as we explored the bluff itself. So one of the parts of the experience that we took inspiration from is this idea of the base, the middle, and the top, which is really about sort of tracking our experience around the bluff, you know, being at the bottom, sort of looking up, being inspired, being curious about what it is you're seeing, how it got there. And then, you know, as we're sort of hiking up the bluff, exploring it, looking at the mushrooms and vegetation and seeing out, you know, peaks into the sky and starting to understand where you are and then getting to the top and really seeing how that place is situated amongst all the other places around it. But also, I think when we got up there, it started to come together for us a little bit. You know, at the base, we saw the materiality of the bluff, and it was made with this kind of sandstone that was a very light, warm color. And when we got to the top, you could actually start to see manifestations of that. You could see sand mines in the distance, for example. And we started to talk to Ellen and others about, you know, the history of, of sand mining in that area. We got to the top and we started to understand, you know, in the early part of the century, the bluffs were used to create shock from lead by essentially throwing it down from the bluff. So it became very apparent or it unfolded to us as we explored the place because we, we learned about how mankind utilized the land through time and how that informed who came to settle there, you know, what kinds of people came to go there and what kinds of businesses and economies were brought around it. So that, that story was fairly similar. The aspects were different as we traveled the state. You know, if it was in the Driftless region, it was about farming and, and the culture that came around that was based on the land that was there and how that shaped the place. And the same with um, the other places throughout the state that we saw. So that was just one example, but that's one of the, the things that we clued into is how to tell that story about how those two forces are related to one another through your experience. And that's what we hope the Future Museum offers to the, the visitors is really a chance to have that a similar experience where they walk away and say, oh, you know what, you know, I am the way that I am because of, you know, how I arrived here and how 
my culture developed around this land and how that land in turn informed my culture. So in practical terms, did the museum start with, did, did they give sort of a list to you guys and say, here's some places we think might be inspirational? I mean, presumably you didn't all just hop in a van and be like, well, should we go west? Should we go north? <laughs> well, wait, wait, what are we, we looking totally for? Wait, I would say it was a crafted journey that, you know, we had spoken not only with the museum and pulled colleagues and stuff to figure out which places we felt would be most inspirational on the journey. So, I mean, we, we definitely took a whirlwind tour through the state. Heading west, first stop was Aztland, which that morning was just absolutely beautiful. It was one of those days where it was like really cool, crisp air, and we had an amazing experience starting out understanding how important that spot was to Wisconsin and the history of this place and the indigenous people that settled there for only a few hundred years. But we worked our way all the way around. I mean, I think Aztaland, Mill Bluff, the Apostle Islands, some of those stick out to me as being probably the most, that idea of the connection of nature and culture and how the stories of them kind of impress upon who we are today and what Wisconsin is today and kind of the journey that it's been on. I mean, going back to the Mill Bluff experience, I would say was probably the most impactful and memorable. And I think, you know, to your point, Bobby, like we had a, we had a series of places that we visited, but I think what was fortuitous about Mill Bluff specifically was we ascended to the top as Jarrett was explaining and experiencing things, kind of the wonder and the, and the nature and, and seeing the vista. But then what was unique or maybe unexpected is the, the tour guide, this gentleman from the DNR, and I can't remember his name, we were pointing in the distance to some of the other formations, and he said, hey, are you guys interested in actually going to see the base of that one? And we were like, well, we have time, you know. So we loaded back up in the cars, and we went and visited, I think it was called Ragged Rock, so we actually had two experiences, one where we were on Mill Bluff, which is a larger formation with a flat top, kind of the buttes. But then we also saw Ragged Rock, which to us, I think that was, everyone was really quiet on that part of the experience. It was, it was very humbling standing next to this formation that's been there for so long and, and actually seeing it and touching it and experiencing uh, the texture and the qualities and knowing, I mean, I think the interesting di dichotomy of that site is the, the formation's been there for a very long time, but it's also made of sandstone. So you see that inherent weathering. And I, in fact, I took a picture of Katie's hand because there was some, you know, little pieces, some rubble on the ground. It's perfect little marbles, these smooth pieces of sandstone. But it wasn't until then that you realized just how fragile really that formation was and how in the grand scheme of things temporary it is, even though it looks, you know, something like something that's been there for so long. So it, it had a lot of layers to it, to Jared's point, that kind of heightened that experience for us visiting. And everyone was together. You know, we had landscape team there sketching and the architects. And, you know, it, it was just an amazing experience that, that had the largest impact, I would say, of many of the spots that we visited. Was it something of sort of an aha moment when you guys were there? Like, did you all sort of look at each other and think this might be the place? Or did you still have to come back and kind of work through all of them and, you know? Well, that was partway through our journey. So I think we were still doing our information gathering and dreaming to Jared's point. You know, when we came back and we would discern what we discovered, we would share our personal experiences and what had an impact on, on us as a team. 
But that one in particular, you know, reflecting back on it, it definitely had one of the biggest aha moments, I would say. But there were other schemes that we definitely, you know, investigated to make sure that that felt appropriate. Bobby, one of the things I think is important to remember through all this is that we did a lot of this with community engagement. So we had small focus groups where we would, you know, talk about some of these ideas and then get people's feedback to say, yeah, that resonates. No, that doesn't. So while this design rose to the top, it was also a combination of some of the other design ideas. You know, part of the journey, too, was with the entire team. So the exhibit designers were along on the journey as well. So you know, for the whole team to be able to see the state and the sites and engage with these individuals to get a deeper understanding that is also going to have impact on the total project. It was building centric, but it was also thinking about the stories and the themes and some of the exhibit stuff as well. Yeah, bigger picture. Yeah, I think just going back to, to Katie's prompt and, and uh, where you kind of left off, Bobby, I mean, Mill Bluff was sort of early, I would say, in our week-long tour. So, you know, while I think we all realized that we had a very special experience there and were kind of mesmerized by that, I don't think we knew that that was the answer until we had actually taken the whole trip. And really, you know, because the whole time I think we were all trying to put together the pieces to figure out what it is that we wanted to say about nature and culture and how that could be manifested in the design. And it wasn't all, like, to, to Katie's prompt about what other ideas did we explore, it wasn't always about the, the landscape itself. Sometimes the ideas were a little bit more abstract. Mm-hmm. Uh, we looked at other aspects um, that we had seen, whether it was, you know, from the Apostle Islands and this kind of idea of a kind of remnant landscape that has been impacted over time. We looked at some of the sort of thematic things that we heard from many of the uh, conversations with some of the indigenous tribes about kind of round shapes and the kind of circle of unity. We looked quite hard at the at the Driftless region and more the kind of shaping of the topography and the kind of understanding of the sort of preciousness of the earth and how that sponsored culture um, in that area and sort of brought different kinds of people to its place and they developed there. So I, I would say it wasn't always about the physicality of the monument. A lot of the ideas that we explored were kind of sort of more abstract notions about what that intersection looked like. Um, and to, to Katie's other point, I mean, we did do quite a bit of community engagement. We developed all of the concepts to a, to a certain level. We showed renderings of them. We explained the inspiration. We started to articulate how they worked on that site. You know, each of them had a different kind of entry experience, a different interior experience. And the, the concept that we've developed was the one that rose to the top. And I think, I think that was the one that, that people's kind of immediate reaction to it was, you know, this is Wisconsin, that's of this place. This looks like home to me. And that's what we wanted. We wanted people to look at it and say that and say, you know what, that's the, that's the building that, that, that creates this memory of this place, you know, kind of in my mind and in my heart. And that's, that's really the kind of reaction we were looking for. Um, and so, so that's why we, we chose to, to develop that, that, that design. And it, it you know, it has gone through iterations and will continue to go through some more probably. But I think that the spirit of that experience and that, that you know, the kind of 
idea there, I think, is 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 going to stick with us. Well, you've anticipated my next question, which was about iterations, <laughs> and sort of how do you get from that philosophical moment to where you、uh, go off and get to what what the building looks like now on paper? You know, create a building. Yeah, like how do you well, create a building? Can, was it? And, and I mean, also in practical terms, like did you go off and do some、yeah. drawings? Did Chris go off and do some drawings? Did you meet later and say, "Here's," do you know what I mean? Was it was it a collaboration in that sense, or was there a lead? Sure, I, I would say so. The abstract ideas, right? They're kind of bubbling in our heads. We understand that the museum had desire for, you know, a certain target programs, certain square footage. They had their site. The site informed a lot of what we were able to do there, and that was, I think, the first thing that we studied with the team in concert with our construction manager Mortensen to make sure that we were collectively making the best value decisions on the site. That was very, very important. So that that informed a lot of the decisions about the building's height, its bulk, some of the aspirations of what we wanted to do on the landscape. You know how it met the different streets in the different ways. And thinking about how the building addresses the greater context of the Deer District, locating the massing on the southern edge of the site so it has a kind of strength at that corner on McKinley. Uh, in North Six, that was very important to everybody. Sort of stepping the building down towards the more residential neighborhood to the north, trying to to keep some of the landscape, natural landscape, at grade was also very important for the museum to feel like it belonged to everybody. It doesn't have a wall around it or a fence. We really wanted it to feel very transparent and open at the base. A lot of the beginnings of some of those like more practical. Issues were born out of you know, analyzing the site. The other piece, Jarrett, is the entry sequence, as you started to allude to. So as the as the team was looking at the、uh, first floor and how primary entries would sort of address the, the the greater city and how each entry could actually serve a very unique function, whether it be a, a ceremonial entry or something that has a bit more function to it when you do have large. Groupings of students, kids arriving. So the three entries became important, which became analogous to the three rivers and the confluence theme, which you know really strengthens this idea of that it's born out of a place, which is Milwaukee, and then the architecture. Not only the entries serve that function, but it brings people together, brings Milwaukee together. So that, that became a very、uh, fun thing to be able to develop and continue to, to develop with the team. Can you guys talk a little bit more then about how how you guys worked together to realize this? You know, we're a very collaborative group here. Kayla Slater is the architect of record, and Ed is the design architect from New York. But we also have other specialists from GGN, landscape architects, and think design or exhibit architects. Us architects, Kayla Slater and Eniad, we you know would meet and talk and sketch a couple times a week. But we also have a, a weekly call with with our our landscape and exhibit design partners because their feedback and their impression of what we're doing is important. So I would say you know the Eniad team. Once we kind of, you know, sort of worked with with Kayla Slater to figure out the site logistics and kind of some of those more practical issues about making sure this building fits in Milwaukee, you know, we come up with the inspiration, but we need feedback. So we work together, we bounce ideas off of Chris and his team to see what resonates. I mean, they're from they're from the area, they know the place, 
better than we do. So we, it, it is a bit of a, a collaborative effort. And, you know, I would extend that collaboration to GGN to think as well, because even though the, the site doesn't have a lot of landscape, just how the building meets the street, how that landscape space meets the street, how accessible it is, the kind of moves there is all informed by their input. You know, how the parking garage is situated to try to maximize parking efficiently, but also that, that idea of the landscape space, how the, the landscape sort of threads through the three entrances that Chris mentioned and finds itself on the roof of the building, you know, is all important. And, and, you know, the stories that that all comes to, to tell, we think is, is really critical to engage with the exhibit designers at, at any end, at least that's sort of our approach with these kind of museums is we don't want it to feel like our architecture or our style supersedes the message. And we're here to steward the message. And actually that's what makes something really beautiful and unique and bespoke to the place is, you know, we're here to help kind of shape that and give form to that. But the meaning and the message comes from the sites and the, the stories that are trying to be told and, you know, the experiences that we have together. So this is this is my last question for you is have you you've preserved presumably heard the responses the many varied responses uh, to the release of the design what do you how do you feel like it's been released you feel like the city is embracing it will come to embrace it you've presumably heard all the wacky descriptions of what it looks like any thoughts on on all of that everything looks like something and and you know our, our hope is that it looks like something that people find. Beautiful. I, yeah, I actually think that's kind of, that that's Jared. That's what is cool about it, right? Is that there's this opportunity for people to kind of interpret it in their with their own lens. And I actually think that's what good architecture does. It allows people to really find inspiration from it on their own and kind of interpret what it means to them. So, yeah, Bobby, I mean, seeing some of the very creative, I would say, interpretations, that, that's good. That's good. I mean, and I think that the architecture will be refined and it will have a level of abstraction that allows for that. You know, it's no different than looking at clouds and having people discover things about how that evolves and changes. You know, I'm, I'm excited about it. The themes that I'm hearing from people are that they're genuinely really excited about it, that it's, it sets a new trajectory. It creates a new chapter. It creates a new sense of place. It also creates a sense of pride. So there's a lot of really good that's coming from this. I think that our museum has such strong history. People are very passionate about it. Those of us who have grown up here. So I, I can understand, I appreciate that people are sensitive to it, you know, because there's out there is uh, memories, but I think that this will offer, offer an opportunity for new memories to be generated for the community. So it's, it's a powerful move. Well, and I think when you have a building that's going to be a landmark building, like the Quadrachi Pavilion, people say that looks like a bird, it looks like a boat, it looks like this, that, or the other thing. The fact that they're talking about it means that you've created something that's something worth talking about. Right? I mean, yeah, right, exactly. because there's plenty of buildings that are going up in Milwaukee that nobody says it looks like that or the other thing. It's, it's just yeah. a building. <laughs> you know? yeah, what, what, did, what did people say about the art museum when it was built? Same thing. Was, I, I, it's a beloved institution in that city, and it's, it's emblematic and iconic. That's what people think of when they think of Milwaukee. That's what we want the Milwaukee, the future museum, to, to also be.
Yeah, so, I mean, you talk about this being a landmark building, Bobby, and those comparisons to the other things like a boat or a bird or a Bose speaker. I got to believe that some of those comparisons will die down as people start to see a proof of concept and start to see this building emerge. You know, I, I think calling it a, a Bose radio will probably go away. Yeah, I think so, too. And the architects even said that, you know, everything looks like something. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. you know, they're, they're just happy people are talking about it. The fact that they're saying, oh, it looks like this or oh, it looks like that means they're actually looking at it and thinking about it and talking about it. And that's way better than than the opposite, right? Which is just everybody writing it off and ignoring it. Well, and this really ties into this uh, really busy spring that Milwaukee Public Museum is going to be having. We were on site last week at the very first exhibition unveiling, the uh, time travel exhibit. And there's four more of these announcements coming this spring, including probably the most hotly anticipated one on Milwaukee Day, which will um, tell us the future of the streets of old Milwaukee. Yeah, so I think that's going to be obviously the big one. And I'm sort of surprised they didn't save it until last, although it does make sense to do it on Milwaukee Day on 414. But it's it's definitely going to be the one that everybody is most eagerly anticipating. Well, we're going to be all over this story here at Urban Spelunking. We're going to be um, on site at those future announcements and, of course, that big one about the streets of old Milwaukee. So make sure you're subscribed to Urban Spelunking. Get these exciting updates delivered right to you. We put out new episodes every Thursday from Radio Milwaukee and on Milwaukee. And just take a minute to rate and review. We'd love to hear your feedback. If you can give us five stars, we would love that. We'd also love it even more if you could type a few words. Let us know how you feel about the podcast. And uh, again, make sure you're subscribed. Podcasts here on 88.9 are produced by Kiri Salinas. And next week, Bobby, we're going back to a Tide House. We love a Tide House here on Urban Spelunking. Yes, we're going to Bayview to see an old Schlitz Tide House, an 1898 Schlitz Tide House that seemed endangered after a terrible fire about a decade ago, but now it's been completely renovated and is a beautiful Airbnb. Yeah, you can actually stay inside this Tide House. So make sure you're subscribed. We'll be back with that story next week from Urban Spelunking. 